A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Happy holidays to those who celebrate, and welcome to Cocoons of Horror. This week, Steve and I take a look at Escape from L.A., a film that revisits the character arc, albeit flat, of your favorite anti-hero, Snake Plissken. If you enjoy Cocoons of Horror, you like what we're doing over here, please leave us a review at iTunes. If you do, it will likely be read on the podcast. If you want to email us, cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, join me as Steve and I surf our way into the dark paradise that is Escape from L.A. Here is comic Steve Osborne. Steve, you got an elevator pitch for Escape from L.A. What if Escape from New York needed a sequel? <laughs> I I just kind of like the idea that Escape from New York exists, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's already that's already fun. like playing with house money, right? <laughs> yeah, that movie is just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's just a ton of fun. And then you know you think, okay, you could. Do the next one. Where, where are you going to do it? Right, let's do it in L.A. It's a dystopia, but it does try hard to make it a very L.A.-centric movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got the surfing. You've got the basketball. You've got <laughs> yeah, the right, of course. map to the stars. Yeah. You've got the, the, what do they call the surgical failures? The surgical failures. You, you can ride the Santa Ana winds. Have you ever experienced the Santa Ana winds? No. Yeah, it's freaky. It's weird. It's like it's it's hard to explain it. Like no, no, it's, it's windy. It's like really windy, dude. It's, it's it doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound that spooky. It's like yeah, I know. I've been I felt wind before. Yeah, I, I know what wind. I know how it works. <laughs> it, it it's odd, and I think it might be because you know the weather there is pretty stable uh, most of the time. Sure. Uh, so when you get it, it just feels weird. It's just, the whole thing just feels really, really eerie. Uh, I I like that. I like that they brought they brought in the Santa Ana winds. And <laughs> I like that they they did the little Roman Coliseum with the basketball twist. <laughs> I would love to. I I'd totally love to, forgotten I, about that. I'd love to lay 
New York and LA, like the escape rooms, over each other to see if they time out like almost exactly the same. <laughs> I just love. So the... I would love to see every city get one. You know, right? You know, yeah. es- escape from Toledo, <laughs> es- escape from yeah. Charleston. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, Escape from Portland. It's like one of those little uh, like cartoony maps that you can buy. <laughs> yeah, Escape from Boise is not not especially interesting, but uh, we should talk about our history with this movie, right? So we saw this movie together. This what this is ninety seven. Yeah, so ninety seven. This is this is being teased. I think we like maybe caught a glimpse on Entertainment Tonight or something, right? Like a trailer that just seemed like, oh, this is going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, I think the trailer, and then I think we it led to a conversation which we were like, "Have you ever seen Escape from New York?" And I think neither of us had, right? I mean, no, we and then, then that's when we decided we we're going to go out and rent it. Yeah, because we wanted to go, we wanted to see this movie. We figured we should go see Escape. We should watch Escape from New York so we know what's going on. Because but I mean, it's a fifteen year gap. It's a fifteen year gap, and it really did feel like Escape from New York was pretty old at that point. Well, yeah, so 81, right? So talking about, like, we kind of this conversation with uh, with Evil Dead, right? So Evil Dead comes out in 81, and and so we're like, yeah, we're like five, right? Or, you know, five or six, mm-hmm. so it's probably not on our radar. Same thing with Escape from New York, right? So it's one of those ones that's easy to miss, right? I mean, because it's, it's, we were too young to, to go out of our way to see it. And, yeah. and if you didn't have anybody in your life that was, like, a fan... You're probably not getting introduced to it. It's not one that I. Would... Yeah, there was no like uh, ride at Disneyland right. dedicated. It wasn't like a, there was a Snake Plissken themed ride. Right. So and and it wasn't. I don't know that anybody in my family had seen it. So it's not like it was even part of any kind of conversation. Um, so it just almost didn't exist, right? I, it only existed uh, as a VHS uh, box cover that I would see when I when I'm perusing. Uh, other films and it, and it wasn't I mean like the the cover was kind of cool but it was kind of dark uh, so it wasn't like especially eye catchy but you know it's like you know I'm really looking back I'm like what kind of a person doesn't see Kurt Russell in an eye patch with like the the crumbled uh, Statue of Liberty behind him and not go I, I should probably check this out <laughs> you know what I love about this period is that and this is kind of like Bleeding into the '90s, but this is sort of an an '80s, early '90s thing. Where, where your your rock stars, your professional wrestlers, your action heroes, they had amazing hair. They just oh, had they, they they could all do shampoo commercials. These yeah. guys in this movie, Kurt Russell has hair that any woman in LA would kill for. His hair. Should have its own credit. It's <laughs> amazing. It's like because there are times where I just like would just look and like, wow, like this is that's a practical effect. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does his own stunts. It's just insanely, just luxurious, magnificent. Yeah, it was it was almost gratuitously good. You know, it was uh, so, and it's it's crazy too when you look at this this character of snake plissken it's like this rugged you know the the legend of and it's like and like nobody mentions the fact that his quaff is is 
second to none, right? I mean, it's like, how does he have that opportunity? Well, he's like, he's like four different kinds of sociopath, like this guy's special forces. He's the ultimate badass. Yeah. In fact, he's more famous than the president in this movie. <laughs> and the fact that he could just show up and it's like, and like he can do his hair. Like, I mean, it's just a given, right? I mean, it's just so made. Like, nobody even comments on the fact that, like, how do you have the time to get product? In that, I mean, how do you? What do you do? Like, is it Ogilvy? Like, what are you doing? It's kind of funny that in this America there are famous villains. Like, like Snake Plissken is known by everybody. Like, yeah, he's a celebrity. He's a he's a celebrity outlaw. And then he doesn't even know who the president is. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> the president steps out of the shadows. And he's, who are you? I'm your president. <laughs> That's amazing. He's now he's heard of the president before because he said, I, "I've heard you got some domestic trouble." <laughs> like, oh, you're that so guy. He's reading newspapers, but maybe the depth perception of his eye patch makes it difficult to recognize faces, or maybe he's just that level of sociopath that everyone looks the same. Well, I mean, Snake Plissken's. I mean, he's busy, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean. He you can get a lot done in a short amount of time, I'll tell you that much. You don't just know how to surf. You have to try it. You have to do it. You don't just get in a hang glider and ride those Santa Ana winds and shoot. You gotta kind of... You don't kinda... think he became an expert surfer in Cleveland? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, so this guy's picking up all kinds of... Uh, I mean, he... I mean, he... Well, he's special forces. I'm sure that they teach you how to surf and, you know, your, <laughs> your basic training... <laughs> It's just, it's just incredible. He knows how to hang glide, death from above. Yeah, I love which is which is a Rocky Four right. reference as well. I love, I love death from above. Uh, it just get hang gliders. It's such a, such an interesting and sinister maybe oversell. I love that they they're hang gliding and then they they all kind of drop out of the sky like oh, five minutes apart. <laughs> like they're they're all on a different. They're guest super of good at this. I mean, they are like so good at the hang gliding. <laughs> he gets it. He's wearing the same clothes from 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 New York. That's Snake Plissken. What'd you expect? I don't know. He just looks so retro, kind of twentieth century. Good old days. Kurt Russell gets a writing credit on this one. Yeah, in fact, I, my understanding is that this movie doesn't get made without Kurt Russell uh, uh, sitting down with uh, with John Carpenter to, to bang this out. Yeah, I I guess John Carpenter gave an interview and basically said that Kurt Russell rewrote the ending mm-hmm. and and not just like you know had a few ideas like he actually sat down and wrote out the script for the ending of the movie, which makes me wonder what it is because. Snake Plissken, he's all right. Let's let's talk about this. Is is he a hero? Is he an anti-hero? Is he is he a yeah, he basically returns mankind to the Stone Age at the end of this, right? Yes, uh, right. So it's a it's a pretty dramatic uh, thing that he does. I mean, he becomes the ultimate. He's either the ultimate villain or the villain or the ultimate savior, right? I guess so. And I guess that there's a, a religious theme in this that goes throughout this movie. Sometimes I wonder, it's like, okay, are, are the other bad guys just so much more detestable? Well, we don't know about the rest of the world, though, right? Like, we, we, we know, I think we're, we're meant to 
to be disappointed in America's trajectory, but we don't know about the rest of the world, right? Yeah, they could just be living their lives and like they they don't care what the president does. I mean, I guess it's pretty restrictive. I mean, you can't smoke, you can't eat red meat, your marriages have to be approved. <laughs> I love how it, <laughs> they've rounded up atheists. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a great movie to talk about theology. <laughs> because Clearly, the president is based after some kind of televangelist. Like a Pat Robertson, right? Yeah, he he really even looks like Pat Robertson, this guy. And the premise is that (laughs) he makes a prediction that there's going to be an earthquake in California. (laughs) Good work there. And this impresses everyone so much that they make him president. But they don't just make him president. They make him president for life. For life. Yeah. Well done, sir. You predicted a, an earthquake in California. You get to be president for life. Yeah, we, we laugh at that, but I'm telling you, I feel like now that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> if you like, all right, Herschel Walker. Exactly. Herschel Walker's like, there's going to be a tornado in the Midwest. <laughs> like, one, all right, one, you get to be governor forever. One cow now. gets tossed, and that's it. He runs the world. President accepts a lifetime term of office. The country's capital is relocated from Washington, D.C. to the president's hometown of Lynchburg, Virginia. Los Angeles Island is declared no longer part of the United States and becomes the deportation point for all people found undesirable or unfit to live in the new moral America. The United States police force, like an army, is encamped along the shoreline, making any escape from L.A. impossible. From the southeastern hills of Orange County to the northwestern shore of Malibu, the Great Wall excludes L.A. from the mainland. The president's first act as permanent commander-in-chief is Directive 17. Once an American loses his or her citizenship, they are deported to this island of the damned, and they never come back. So Directive 17, all of the prostitutes, atheists, runaways... Hmm. Have to go to have to go to <laughs> runaways. <laughs> nothing, nothing punishes a runaway more than to send him away. <laughs> like, like I don't. I mean, when I'm thinking of like the, the scum of the earth, you know, <laughs> loiterers, but like, like, like pedophiles, <laughs> terrorists. Uh, jaywalkers. People that <laughs> flout washing their hands before they go to work. Now, okay, so do you get the sense that L.A. is, like, like populated by all criminals? Because my, my sense is that there's going to be people from L.A. that lived there before that now they just live there in L.A., right? Yes, that's how, what I don't know. Like, hey, did they just, they just, the assumption being if you were already in L.A., you were the scum of the earth. And uh, we'll, yeah, just, we'll just sure. add more. Um, and so well, Steve Buscemi has clearly been there a while. Right? Yeah, and capitalism is thriving. I mean, they're, they're, it's creating pockets, right? It seems like there are some areas that are worse than others, even though everybody seems a little bad. But uh, L.A. is a pretty big place. So, I mean, uh, definitely things are sectioned off. Um, so by the year 2000, L.A. was already a hellscape. Mm. And, uh, and so you've got people like Peter Fonda who are bitching. Yeah, they're just—they're just, they're evil surfers. Evil surfers, exactly. He was probably a runaway. 
<laughs> he was probably a runaway. I I didn't recognize Peter Fonda at first. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, I it was a few scenes in, and I was thinking, is that? Or no, he comes back at the end of the movie. I think. Yeah, he, show, he in the beginning. I mean, he's just like you know, hey man, get off my beach or whatever. <laughs> and then at the end, I was like, is that Peter Fonda? Yep, it's Peter Fonda. He's got a a minor role in Escape from L.A. Well, I don't know if he's minor. I mean, without him, I mean, he's not. <laughs> uh, what what is Snake going to do? He's not going to surf his way to. Uh, well, he's not going to be able to low five his oh his partner. And... That's the thing. He's not just an like an apt surfer. He's a very, very adept and casual uh, crusher. <laughs> he's so good. It's like nonchalant. He's kind of like Fonzie Dude, the, when he's jumping the, the low shark. Five is like. It was so respectful. Sorry for what the is squeak. This, this is this noise. Squeak? You hear that too? <laughs> oh, God. oh my God! Bender, no squeaks. Bender's got a toy that he wants to share with the world. Yeah, he gets he gets a writing credit for this podcast. <laughs> so you got Peter Fonda, you got Pam Greer. <laughs> yeah, Pam Greer. How would you feel if you were Pam Greer and they were like, okay? We got this part for you. You don't get to use your own voice. I think it is her own voice. They just drop it. They drop it a few octaves in editing. Oh, is that what happens? Yeah, yeah. Because it looks like a, it seems like a voiceover or whatever. But they're gonna. I I I don't know if you're Pam Greer. Whether this is like, yep, that's the next part I want to play, or whether it's like, yeah, I'll just take what I can get. It's ninety seven. I haven't worked for a few years. It's certainly not a uh, flattering role for her. No. Uh... Man, what a weird movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Bruce Campbell, uh, unrecognizable cameo. I did not recognize him at all until I was looking at the credits, and I was like, Bruce Campbell? Who is he? The Surgeon General. <laughs> he's, the... <laughs> he's, he's ruling the roost of the surgical uh, failures. Yeah. I, I remember the first time we saw this, that scene being the, the most affecting, like, that one really got me. Yeah, it was pretty. I didn't remember much else about this movie. Yeah, I think I think after I had seen it, that whenever when I went to revisit, that was like only the like maybe the one thing I really did remember. So the other thing about this movie that I really like is I like the idea that, and I don't know why that this channel doesn't exist, but in, in this America there is a national broadcast. It's called the Police Channel. And they just do live interviews of people who are about to go into prison. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, I would absolutely watch this. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's like, it's funny, in, in the world of reality TV, that's actually like, it's a pretty solid idea. Like, this is not just a prison. This is like San Quentin-level prison. Like, modern-day Alcatraz. Right. And you don't know if you're coming out. And I, I, I'm just curious. What do you got to say? Like, <laughs> what, what, what do you, what do you want to tell America? What are you in for? Atheism. All right. Well, what's it going to be like? You're going to be cut off from civilization. <laughs> and I like that once you get in there, though. Like they're kind of they're saying like this is where the freedom is, right? So there's your your critique of of this moral <laughs> sure. America, right? They're like this is where you get to. This is where it's at. And I love. <laughs> she like talks about how like how free and how how you know and then she just gets shot. Yeah, no, that was a great gone. The girl with the the Joan Jet haircut. Right, yeah, that's that. Nothing says uh, uh, a dystopian wasteland like that haircut. <laughs> 
Now she right. So she's figured out how to live life in LA and she's like she's gotten to the point where it's just not, it's not so bad, mm-hmm. you know? It's like yeah, she now keep in mind she was just almost cut up. She was almost <laughs> vivisected right. for body parts by the surgeon general. Right. Of, but it's not so bad. Uh, and she you know, she's looking around at this, you know, dark paradise. And she's trying to kind of sell Snake on it. Like, hey, man, it's like you, everyone thinks it's bad. But if you think about it, if you, if you, once you know how to live here, it's really not as bad. It's the last bastion of freedom. And I think she was, she was like a Muslim in the Midwest or something. Yeah, That's yeah. how she got rounded up. The words are still hanging on her lips when she just randomly gets, just catches a stray. And that's it. That's the commentary on it's yeah. It's a, as with a lot of Carpenter films, um, like I feel like there's a lot of things being said at once, and uh, and I find them all fascinating. I find them all. I mean, I like this. You know, comparing this to to the it's first not one. Subtle. No, I mean comparing this one to the first one, and comparing it to like They Live. I mean, there's something about Carpenter's work that no matter what the budget is, it always feels low budget. I love that. Okay, so you got the Joan Jet woman who gets shot right Mm -hmm. and she's trying to explain to him that it's not that bad and his response is dark paradise and then the other female lead in this her name was utopia Mm -hmm. so i think it really does he does lean into allegory it's like it's it's like we said it's, it's not subtle but sometimes he will do this like the, I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to say. That this could be a utopia if, if we could just get America back, be a little bit more like L.A. or something. Is or is is the because she's the president's daughter. Is is she was she named Utopia because? Oh, ironically, or, sure. Or he because he was looking at like, well, if I get you know, his vision of Utopia is very different, right? And to, right. to the point where he was willing to uh, just kill her. Like, he wanted... He, it wasn't even a matter of, like, she was collateral damage. He was actually hoping that she'd be killed in this. Yeah, she, he wanted her dead. And I think, you know, I guess if we're going to get serious about it, he, um, you know, he names her Utopia because that's what he wants. And then, of course, ironically, she ends up in a dystopia, right? Right, and then he's willing to kill the concept of utopia and the actual idea of utopia, right? I mean, it's... Well, and he views himself, the president views himself as God. At one point, he, he does this this really the sedici- interesting... Give my seditious daughter. <laughs> he says, for, for he so loved his country that he gave his only seditious, seditious daughter. daughter. <laughs> That's pretty great. Like he's quoting John three sixteen, but he's like throwing some like, shade. <laughs> now all of a sudden he's God, and I guess that would would suggest that his daughter is Jesus, but now she's seditious, right? So this president is an interesting guy. <laughs> well, I mean, his major qualification was predicting something that was predictable. He he's I, I'll give him this. He's a hands-on kind of president. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, he he's not in he's not sitting in the Oval Office. He's out there, you know, trying to do the Lord's work and in, in the in the bunker with the, the the special forces and 
You know, he's creating a hologram out of himself to go, <laughs> to go <laughs> talk to the most famous outlaw in the world, Snake Plissken. Go browbeat Snake Plissken into killing his daughter. I I, I do respect that. I, <laughs> I, do, I do respect I want a president who's willing to go have a face-to-face conversation with Snake Plissken. Hey, you know, in a world where we've got presidents on the golf course most of the time or in their homes in Delaware, it's nice to see someone get out there, roll up their sleeves, and try to get the world's most famous outlaw to kill their daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Who's this movie for, Steve? Well, it's for me, 100%. Um, And I don't even know. Well, And I think... I think he made the mistake of actually making it only for me because I think it like it, it was budget of fifty million. I think it got and made twenty five. <laughs> well, we we saw it the night of. Yeah. so we, we, sure. we certainly helped. We did our part. We're still doing our part to this day. Oh yeah, we are. Yeah. Uh, no, I've seen this movie. I don't. Gosh, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. To be honest, it's it's quite. There have been plenty of times where Heather's been like gone for a weekend, and it's like, well, I guess we're escaping New York and LA tonight. <laughs> All right. Well, I've I've only seen this movie twice. Was that right? I I watched this, you know, back when we watched it in '97, and I watched it two nights ago. It's it's a ton of fun. I mean, this movie is just. It knows what it is. It's totally, it's not going to take itself seriously. Everyone's leaning into the camp, right? Oh, yeah. It starts off, it revs it up, revs up the engine, and it does not stop until the world has gone dark. Right. And I thought I read somewhere that they were talking about doing something like a, an escape from Mars or something. Yeah, so I think... Well, the, the the poor box office reception killed it, but there, I think there was supposed there was a couple things on the table. One of them was simply escape from Earth. Right, that makes sense. Right, Earth is now this. It's, it's got no, I mean, nothing. Right, I mean, it's yeah. Uh, sure. So I don't know. I don't know how you escape it. Um, but then escape from Mars, I guess, was sort of on the table, and then that's what um, Ghost of Mars by John Carpenter becomes. Oh, interesting. So effectively, what I read was that uh, Ice Cube's character was kind of supposed to be the Snake Plissken in Ghosts of Mars. Oh. So and and so that's kind of how it had to happen because they couldn't they couldn't green they couldn't you know the studio wasn't going to justify a third one after the shellacking this one took. Uh, uh, you could still do it. You could still. Do I it. think so, and I mean it's one of those things too where it's like it's a classic. Like I think. I mean, I I don't know how Escape from New York was received at the time, but like it's definitely becomes a cult classic. So you almost have to assume that Escape from L.A. would kind of have that same trajectory. I mean, it's because it well, is. If you because, like Escape from New York, there's no way you're not going to like this one. And that's what I think is interesting why it didn't do so well. I mean, maybe because it's like it's a, this is Carpenter's only sequel, by the way. Oh. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. It feels like a sequel, a tribute, and a parody all at the same time. It does, yeah. And so maybe that's part of the issue is that I don't know if people know how to how to feel about it because like if you're let's say you're you're a heavy Escape from New York fan, you could be like, well, this just feels like the same thing again, or you could feel like, wait, this kind of made meant it feels like it's a little little more tongue in cheek. Maybe the thing that you know it's almost like it's insulting. Maybe the thing that I liked, you know, or. And you right. don't maybe know how to how quite to 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 feel about it. 
Um, it's definitely a movie that needs, like, you know how sometimes we talk about movies that have their own universe that they exist in, and this one kind of can, but really, if you don't know who Snake Plissken is, and this is your first introduction to him, I don't, I don't know you're buying it, you know what I mean? Like, I, mm. you have to have, you have to have an appreciation for what came before, because he is leaning in, and there are times where it's just like, like, he, this is, this is uber Plissken now. Does this movie inspire... The Last Jedi. <laughs> Go on. Well, wasn't it The Last Jedi where Luke Skywalker like sends an astral projection of himself? And oh, then yeah. All the adats shoot him, and then he like dusts off his shoulder. Yeah, that, that kind of happens. He this Snake Plissken did that first. He did that. <laughs> he created a hologram of himself. They stood in a circle to shoot him with machine guns. And then he, you know, he he wasn't really there. And Stacy Keach just couldn't make that connection. <laughs> I will say this: that if you're gonna do a firing squad, it's probably best if you don't stand in a circle. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I agree with that. I I think I think that they the original firing squads had it figured out. <laughs> so I don't know. That's just a little advice there. But I will give credit to this. If you're going to handcuff someone and just like let them let them be cuz you're in your, you know, evil lair or whatever, put them on a treadmill. I think that's a that's a, that's a great idea. That's genius. It's a great idea. I love because it. you you you're keeping them busy, right? It's, it's Yeah. Like it's hard it's hard to come up with your next plan when you're just got to keep pace. <laughs> Death by Peloton. I like the treadmill torture. I like I like a I like a movie with uh like guys with Uzis. Mm-hmm. When we were kids, I don't know what it was. Like, was it that there was a small machine gun? So it felt like, hey, I could do this. Like, I'm I'm 11. I think the key. This is a machine gun for me. It's like yeah, a, I think I think the key to the Uzis' popularity for for the youth was how easy it was to draw. Maybe that's it. It's a machine gun, and it acts like a machine gun. But you could you could actually you know could actually go on on your hip or something like that. Yeah, I just remember thinking the Uzis were the coolest thing. And the other thing about them is that if you had a GI Joe character with an Uzi, it just it fit right in that grip really yeah. well. Well, like Operation Wolf was a great game, right? Because you could actually it was an Uzi that you could you know you shoot at the screen. I mean, that's right. Yeah, and I remember when you'd get it for the NES, you know, get it for Nintendo, and you're like, yeah, but I mean. The reason why I like this game is because it's got an Uzi. <laughs> like, I'm holding an Uzi. All right. So I, I also want to talk about the um, the basketball scene, which I had completely forgotten about. Which he did all of his own stunts for, by the way. Did he really? Yeah, he made that shot. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's a, he's a pretty athletic guy. I don't know if you know this, but... His father had, was had some kind of brief acting career in Hollywood, and then right? he decides to buy a minor league baseball team in the mid seventies in Oregon. I think it was Portland, Oregon. And there's a fantastic documentary that has Kurt Russell in it, talking about why his dad bought this minor league baseball team. But I guess. Kurt Russell was pretty de- a pretty decent athlete, a pretty decent baseball player. Hmm. 
And um, so, you know, he would practice with the team and whatnot. Uh, but clearly a pretty decent basketball player in this film, too. Snake Snake can do it all. All right, so the this is sort of a Coliseum homage, right? It's like, you yeah. know, you've got the thumbs up, thumbs down, Caesar kind of thing. They've decided to do this cage. It's like a cage with just a basketball court in it. And they, they use it for a lot of things. Yeah, like, cutting heads off. <laughs> they'll use it for basketball, yes. They'll also use it for, you know, head chopping and whatnot. Uh, with big scissors. Big, big scissors. <laughs> big giant, giant scissors to cut off a guy's head. And I guess no... <laughs> Just, I don't know where you get those. I guess you go to do you go to Joanne's for that or or Michael's. I would I would trust Michael's more. Yeah, know? yeah. Jo- Joanne's is it'll work once or twice. It's probably gonna break. Yeah, it's mostly just gonna like bruise the neck, and it just becomes like a pinch factor as opposed to an actual clean cut. <laughs> so these so the the idea here is that you have to make ten shots. It's five. It's five shots. Uh, with a 10-second shot clock. Two hoops, full court, 10-second shot clock. Miss a shot, you get shot. Shot clock buzzer goes off before you shoot, you get shot. Two points for a basket, no three-point bullshit. All you got to do is make 10 points. That's it. By the way, nobody's ever walked off that court alive. Nobody. So, so you you make a shot, yeah, and then you've got ten seconds to run down the other. And if you miss, you're done. If you miss, you're done. It's just there's, there's you don't get as many shots as you can in the shot clock. It is if you miss, you get killed. If you shoot after the shot clock, you get killed. And um and no one's no one's done this before. No one's accomplished this. Never, have, which seems which is you know. And here's the thing about stretch goals. You know, you don't want it to be so uh, impossible that the person never achieves it. So I mean, it's basically this is just. I just want you to sweat and then kill you. And Cuervo Jones, he's he's just shocked. He's just he doesn't know what to do. He's never considered the possibility that anyone's ever going to be able to accomplish this feat. Very much Rocky Four. He wins the crowd over. They start chanting his name. Exactly. Uh, but he decides he's just going to kill him anyway, which I think would have been an interesting twist on Rocky Four. <laughs> <laughs> they just kill him anyway. They just kill him anyway. How often do they do this? Like, does this? They seem to gather there pretty often. Uh, this seems to be a pretty, a pretty well-known sport in dystopian L.A. Is this like a nightly thing that they do? This is this only on special occasions that they do this. And, and and who like how often? Who's all getting punished for this kind of stuff? Or is it just a, a randomly selected person? Right. Is is it just yeah? Because that's the thing we don't know. If, like with with Snake, and the thing is, people are bored, right? They're bored. Like so, obviously, I think part of the thing is is, is that's that's been a, a bummer for this event is just a lack of uh, star power. Right. So I'm no, thinking that, a... like, yeah, I think that's right. I think so. When, when Snake comes in, they all get excited, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think in 2000 they probably had like a bunch of L.A. Clippers that they were not happy with, mm-hmm. and they thought, well, let's just make sport of them. And then when they were gone, right? No, right. Then they're like, oh, well, hey, let's 
let's go, let's kill some atheists, and so let's throw some runaways uh, into there. And it's like, eh, eh, we've seen it, man. I mean, chop one more runaway's head off. It's, you know, like, why am I? Why am I here? What am I? Here? I'm just here to. Sh- I'm just. I'm just here to shoot my Uzi in the air and watch a runaway get its head cut off with giant scissors. I'm like I feel like I've seen it before, and then. <laughs> And then it's like, they're like, oh, now it's Snake Plissken. And it's like, oh, cool. We're going to watch Snake Plissken try to play basketball. <laughs> well, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. And then they're like, oh, dude, this guy's really good. So, of course, they're like, dude, finally. Like, they're, they're not so much chanting Snake because they're excited he's alive. They're just like, finally, like, this was good. This is weird, you know. It's... I like that they warmed him up ahead of time with the, the, uh, <laughs> the treadmill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're going to, we, we're going to gonna put you to the test in a little bit but why don't you get warmed up here on this treadmill well what i love is that like i mean quite literally this is snake Plissken's flu game <laughs> it absolutely is because we learn later on that the poison is actually just it's just the flu it's just the flu so he's <laughs> he's coughing everyone thinks he's gonna die yeah at one point he's talking with hershey yeah and by the way look man i know that you know hershey is carjack but if you na- if your name is Bob, and you <laughs> and you want everyone to call you Snake, then when your trans <laughs> friend says, "Look, my no- my name isn't Carjack anymore. You please call me Hershey." Have the respect. Yeah, he's 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 dead naming Hershey this whole time. Just and he and he's Snake Plissken. Come on, just, Snake. Come on, Snake. Snake is is many things, but progressive he is not. I guess I guess not. Look, it's just real simple. Just if people want to be called the name, just use the name that they chose. That's what. Right, you're kind of insistent about it. It's kind of your thing. <laughs> you say it over and over. Call me Snake. Why me? You flew the Gulf Fire over Leningrad. You know how to get in quiet. You're all I've got. I guess I go in one way or the other. Doesn't mean shit to me. Give me the paper. When you come out? Before. I told you I wasn't a fool. Call me Snake. Like, you you say it, like, after someone talks to you. And they're not talking, like, the information they're giving you is, like, you know, kind of germane. Like, you know, give it a listen. But you're sort of tuned out. Call me Snake. So, so at one point, he's... He's talking to Hershey and he's basically saying, you know, how are we going to get in? You know, what's going to, you know, how are we going to get Quirgo Jones? He says, I'm a dead man. And he just like kind of coughs to the side. <laughs> just, just once. Yeah. Like, I'm already dead. Yeah. And, and, and Hershey's I, like, oh, I get no, okay, no, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, I, get, I, can t- yeah. I can see that you've taken a deadly virus that is on a timer. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was the cough yeah. that, that tells me. That you're about to die. Yeah, they, they, you know, ever since the president uh, outlawed Zyrtec. <laughs> Is there a cliche, a trope, or a device in this movie that you like? Probably about a hundred of them. I, I like a good hologram. I love a hologram. I love a doomsday device. Um, I love a, you know. Uh, isn't he like hasn't he slowed down and then all of a sudden he pops a wheelie (laughs) like nope so early on in the movie doesn't look like he's slowed down to me he still has him he can still make a motorcycle go fast i think he has motorcycle hair i think that's that's his secret if ever his hair is starting to feel flat (laughs) maybe he's born with it maybe it's maybelline (laughs) so i like a good hologram i feel like 
early on in the movie, I thought, okay, he's he's got a cool hologram because I, I don't I don't re- really remember a whole lot about this movie. And then he tells the president, uh, "Lost a hologram, <laughs> lost yeah. a hologram device." And they're like, "Yeah, I don't want to hear about your problems." <laughs> <laughs> I love how like there's like these odd attempts to be, you know, like like I'll communicate, you know, on my t- you know, like like they're still kind of communicating. <laughs> I, just... <laughs> I had to rewind it. I was thinking, where did he lose it? Where did he lose the hologram? That's why there was the the very deliberate scene of like, ooh, gonna his get jacket. his jacket back. <laughs> so he, he gets himself a hologram, and uh, you know he it, it's you know he turns it around. They use the hologram on him. Now he's gonna fool them with the hologram. He's gonna use their own weapons. You can only use it them. once. You can only use it once. I like that he's a prototype. only he can only use it once. That's a great device. I like that it's got a eight minute nuke battery. <laughs> Like, what? I I thought that, I thought that the whole point with nuclear energy was that it would last a long time. It's eight minutes. Nope, eight minutes. Cuervo Jones is is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I think the first thing I know about him is that he's he's like a lover. Yeah, he's he's like the president's daughter's Latin lover, and he's like blowing kisses, and he's got doves around him and she's like got him on a gif basically i guess uh, did she make the video of him or did he make the video i don't know it's like the one thing that she didn't erase right it's the one thing that she didn't erase so she wants to watch it over and over i guess but i don't it, i don't know whether this is like a, a like a valentine's day card to her it feels or... like that it feels like that to me that because that's kind of like she's she's smitten right and so like we find out you know that he's she's yeah. also disposable to him um, so he's kind of brainwashed her in a way, right? So you kind of get the sense that, like, is this guy kind of like a cult leader? Um, so do you think that was to lure her, her in? Like, I really do love you, but really what he wants is the doomsday device. I think so, right? I mean, I think, and I, I think we get the sense, uh, of her, um, you know, like she's probably motivated by love to some degree because, you know, we see her with her love, love will wait, <laughs> <laughs> amazing touch so i you know he said so so he sort of breaks those rules you know and and uh i you know kind of get you know so it feels like like this is motivated by her you know he's he's playing up the idea that you know look i i'm 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 the forbidden fruit man and and uh <laughs> and so she's so she's willing to do all kinds of things to uh you know she'll she'll basically turn on her father turn on her own her country for for this love and so you know once she realizes she's disposable and she realizes this place is a hellscape she's got she wants to get out snake almost kills her snake almost kills her which i find interesting that's an interesting move right because it's like he knows he needs to get the box if he wants to stay alive but i mean he he wouldn't necessarily have to kill her i mean like it, it, i mean i know it was part of the mission but it also felt like it was a it's a part of the mission if you get it, if you get to it, if you get around to it, like don't don't feel like you shouldn't kill her. Well, I I think we've established that this guy is not the most moral of outlaws. Yeah, right. He's uh, like who who is she to him? Right. You know this this guy kills ten people before breakfast every day. 
That's that's the sense I'm getting from good old Snake here. Yeah, even if it's Bangkok rules. <laughs> Bangkok. I love that. We should. We've been ordered to kill him. Oh wait, he wants to. He wants to to, to do the can game. All right. Well. What do you say we play a little Bangkok rules? Nobody draws until this hits the ground. You ready? <laughs> it's like, wait, you're gonna make a game out of us killing you, and it, and you get to set the the rules. This sounds like a like, wonderful idea. <laughs> yeah, because we were just gonna kill you, but. You, you've made this a lot more fun. Yeah, because now you've given a chance that I might actually get killed. Because <laughs> even even if he doesn't cheat, by the way, and by the way, he cheats at Bangkok uh, rules, which I find, you know, if you want to know, if, is yeah, he not surprised? Is he a scoundrel? Yeah, yeah, he's a scoundrel. He doesn't like he, he doesn't even play by game rules. Um, like <laughs> the thing is, is that there's still the possibility in Bangkok rules if they're being followed all the way through. Which okay, spoiler alert: not everybody follows the Bangkok rules. Um, it, that like he could get one off and like you could get shot like or you could just so in case you haven't seen escape from la in a while bangkok rules are we all have guns we're gonna kill each other but no one pulls the trigger until this can that i've thrown in the air hits the ground mm-hmm. right so they, they've got the drop on him right yeah and there's like i don't know there's like six of them so they're gonna kill him and he very slowly, like they've been ordered to, reaches it. for a can. How about we play Bangkok rules? Bangkok he rules. throws the can in the air. For some reason, they're looking at the can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when he kills them all. I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that. Try in almost any situation, no matter what. Like if if, if I'm getting reprimanded at work, and they call me to the conference room, I'm just gonna stand there and go Bangkok rules, and just see what happens. You can't fire me. We could both fire each other, but no one can fire anybody until <laughs> the can hits the table. Steve, Steve, this is a hard. This is a hard conversation. <laughs> um, uh, the companies decide to right size, and your department is deemed redundant. Bangkok rules. <laughs> what? Nobody gets fired until this can hits the floor. And I throw the can in the air. He looks at the can and like, you're fired. He's like, oh! I thought we were playing Bangkok rules. Clear out your desk. Hand me a badge. <laughs> and, and now you're the boss Do-do-do. of the company? Do-do-do. Great score. Oh. Great score. Of this. And it's like, I can't, it can't be said enough. Uh, that Carpenter does his own scores, and I just am so grateful, so grateful for the the escape uh, the escape song. Um, I love uh, the Halloween theme. I mean, it's classic. Uh, some some really interesting stuff with They Live. Uh, and if you ever really and I, I don't know if we've talked about this in other podcasts or when we, we did They Live, uh, treat yourself to the song "Big Trouble in Little China" performed by John Carpenter and uh, and his bandmates. 
I, I do not think we've talked about this. Yeah, there's a like so when I got the DVD, it has had one of the bonus features is the video, the music video of Big Trouble in Little China, and and uh, whoo, baby, do yourself a favor, everybody, just stop what you're doing. <laughs> YouTube, Big Trouble in Little China, the song. Uh, Steve is. <laughs> This movie better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard movie? Uh, I think I don't know that this is another hard one, right? Because Ron Har- Howard's going to deliver a much different view of the future. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ron Howard does a dystopia, right? So. No, and I don't, and I don't think it, it's the the lack of how Snake Plissken is fleshed out that I think makes him all the more intriguing. It's like, you just go, like, surely this guy can't also surf. Well, I guess he can. And, uh, well, he can't make a full court shot. Oh, wow. Nothing but net. Um, and, the, and, like, the backstory is just peppered, right? We just get peppered little backstories. And it's like, and they're all givens. Because, like, again, it's like, we're, we're the one. We're the odd men out. Like, we haven't heard of Snake Plissken as much as all everybody else. So I, I just think that. For this type of film, for this, for what this movie is trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. you can only have John Carpenter tell this story, right? Like, I couldn't imagine the Escape movies being in somebody else's hand, and and so I that because of that, it feels like almost Ron Howard N.A. Like not applicable. <laughs> you know? All right, I I can go with that. I, here's here's how I would say. I would say. This is a Ron Howard, you know, minus four, something like that. But here's the thing. I think if you're a director and you're like, let's make the best Ron Howard minus four ever made. (laughs) (laughs) We want, we know, we know exactly what we're doing here. We're going to like lean into the camp. You know, this is kind of be a parody of, of a previous film that I made. This is not. Like like you said, this is not something that Ron Howard would probably do. But if you were to attach Ron Howard to this film, I I think you get a much different film out of this, right? Right. And if you're a fan of this film, I feel like that would be a negative, right? I mean, it's like in order to like this film, uh, there's certain things you have to accept and or forgive. And right. I and I and I so I think it's one of the it's a it's a tricky one, right? So like I think if you don't like this movie, you might be inclined to be like, yeah, I mean, Ron Howard would certainly come up with a better story or a better delivery. Um, well, you know, one thing that Ron Howard has in common is that he will often find like really high caliber actors, even for small roles, right? So yeah. this film kind of does that: the Steve Buscemi or the Pam Greer, Peter Fonda. This is this is not a a small budget film, it doesn't seem. No. It really weird special effects though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think I read somewhere that it's because the, the 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 company in charge of the effects, like maybe the production company, just didn't know how to do them. <laughs> They'd like never done them before. <laughs> so they were sort of figuring it out. This it does feel a little bit like um Tim Burton's Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of those moments for sure. The submarine. You know, this is very, very, yeah, submarine, very, you know, dark Gotham kind of feel, hero in black, you know, hang gliding and whatnot. I like that they, uh, 
they like update his outfit right so he comes in wearing the same escape from yeah, new york they even comment on it like yeah. retro yeah exactly so and and you know to to kurt russell's credit he that's the same exact costume and he still fits in it so <laughs> shout out man and uh and so he, and then they give him like the new one this is like it's good it's like you know it's protection from heat and all this stuff it's like but there's no sleeves because you know snake <laughs> gotta stay on brand bro I like I like that he 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 wants the jacket like they give him the all leather you know fire retardant outfit right mm-hmm. and he looks at it and he's like I'll take the jacket yeah <laughs> that's what yeah he wants. that's all I think you'll take it all <laughs> it's like you're not going to L A with a mismatched outfit that's right. well that's what I like about like there's these these odd uh, these odd things in the movie that like. That are, and this is where I think Carpenter, this is why I love Carpenter, because all of that makes it in the film, right? Like, I don't know that it's doing anything to, to move the character or the or the plot along. I think people will want to know if they if he went in with like, you know, jeans and a T-shirt and then a big le- black leather trench coat. I think people will wonder. People will be like, I don't get it. I, I thought Snake Plissken was going to match. <laughs> yeah, because it, everyone seems to be pretty discerning about how, the, how they're dressed and what they're wearing in, in L.A. Almost everyone's got some kind of black leather going I like, on. I like how there's, there's one place you can go to and just throw knives in a person. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I understand this place is like, it's a bad place. But like, it's a bad place. Like, how is anybody surviving? It's a, I, I don't know if if you remember we were just in LA recently together. This mm-hmm. is not that different. No, you're right. There were there were moments where I was like, eh, there's probably throwing knives at a person in there. And that was a, a little little cameo by Robert Carradine as uh, as the knife throwing uh, neo Nazi, and you may know him, of course, from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. I thought I recognized him. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I was like, I, I know that guy from somewhere. I like um, yeah, that was the main guy on Revenge of the Nerds. Right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Good to see he's he's still getting work. <laughs> so what happens? All right, let's just imagine what happens after this film is over. So he he basically eliminates all machinery and all electronics. Any electronic, any technology. So we're back to the Dark Ages. So back to the Dark Ages. We have a bunch of stuff that we can't do anything with, right? I mean, you can still like light a match and smoke an American cigarette, you know, American, American spirit, spirit yeah. cigarette, right? Is this kind of like a libertarian like utopia now? Yeah, maybe so, right? I mean, this is as long as you can survive out there, you'll be fine. Well, and that's the thing. Or does it just turn into like a full-on hellscape? It's hard to say, right? Because it it feels so. You have now it it it's uh you could you, people are stuck, right? I imagine people are now just stuck in in on cruise ships, theoretically. Planes yeah. are falling from the sky. Yeah, yeah. He's right? he's a mass murderer. Yeah, a mass murderer, right? People are stuck in elevators. They're just gonna starve there in elevators. Yeah, I mean it's. I imagine it's it's a bit of bedlam. He's a little like Thanos, this guy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so so Snake Plissken, Snake Plissken is is prob- now. I think we could say he is the the most. He's he's the 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 most powerful supervillain of all time. 
I think so. And I think after this thing, it's like, what can what can this guy do really well? Well, he knows how to kick ass. Mm-hmm. And what's the what's the one thing that's going to be the most valuable resource in this new world order? You need a guy who can kick ass. Yeah. I need a guy with And matches. so now he's become president, basically. Right. I mean, so the one thing that's nice is that you don't need technology for word of mouth buzz. And that's what he thrives on. <laughs> I guess, I guess so because he's he's clearly heard heard about the president. He yeah. just doesn't know what he looks like. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is, for for Snake, it's like he's like this. It's kind of how I live. I haven't paid an electric bill in a long time. I, I mean, <laughs> you would think it would be cheaper. I'm using half the electricity because I only can see half half of what everybody else sees. But so I think with that in mind, this he's got to be an antihero, right? He's he he's he becomes a mass murderer at the end, and you're kind of cheering for it yeah i mean it's because yeah you're you're made to not like where america's going right but he he doesn't exactly set it free from that i mean he to some degree sure but like well he certainly destabilizes the powers that be and the powers that be are like really horrible theocratic you know, I I mean, this is a very, this is a commentary on kind of the moral majority yeah. in America at the time, right? So, but I think that by destabilizing the government, there's almost a sense that like now now people who were suppressed by the government now that they now they have a fair shot to survive, right? I think that's kind of what the movie's trying to do. As long as you can get access to fuel. I mean, fuel's really what it comes down because you got to, I mean, for fires and because fire now becomes a thing. And well, all right. So, yeah, but so what happens after this? Does if uh, just kind of play it out, if you're going to do a sequel immediately after this, not like 10 years in the future, but um, Snake Plissken kind of runs into the mountains he gets away i'm I'm assuming mm-hmm. right well because now snake Plissken uh, is not i mean everybody now has bigger fish to fry right it's survival and then it just becomes about survival on planet earth post technology right now does this thing you could still build more right it's not like well, yeah so it's my understanding of the sword of damocles is that it uh it wipes out everything that's existing, right? But it's not like it it, it wipes out technology in, in perpetuity. No, no. I think, I think you could probably... If you know how to build a shortwave radio, uh, and you can build two of them, you can start reconstructing the net. Yeah, or, you know, like, you could probably make a car move. I don't know. I don't really know. It's a pretty amazing device, because it, <laughs> it doesn't... Just it just wipes out like everything. <laughs> <laughs> like machine guns don't even work. Anymore. Machine guns don't work, and those aren't electronic. <laughs> no, it's anything <laughs> like like somehow like combustion engines don't work either. <laughs> yeah, anything that is uh, mechanized, it just. Sure. Yeah, like, and it with a gear. Like, so you can't ride a bike. <laughs> like, what happens? No. Okay, no, no turn. Does, does turn? <laughs> it turns to sand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just completely falls apart. Yeah. If somebody, somebody, there... somebody's got like a, you know, like a, a mechanical hip, and they just fall. 
Someone's got braces and immediately their teeth go back to just being spring out, yeah. Boing. <laughs> Glasses are falling off your face. Does this movie have a one to grow on half the battle moment? Just don't trust Snake Plissken. Even if he is the best guy for the job, he's also the worst guy for the job. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the fourth be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>